this wheel. Oh, hi, I'm Caroline Lovett. I'm the co-founder of A Mighty Place, the book initiative that was started during the pandemic to help authors, independent bookstores, and readers make it through. And today is really, really special because it's the Blaze meeting the Blaze. We have one of my favorite people here, Rachel Barenbaum, and she is the host and producer of um, Debbie Darlings. And also I have to talk about this book, Atomic Anna. It is, first of all, it's, it's just burning up everywhere because it's so great. It got two starred reviews so far, one from Kirkus, who usually hates everything. And Kirkus said an incredible achievement, as ambitious as a Greek tragedy, and just as lyrical and unflinching. It's got a starred Publishers Weekly, which says multi-dimensional, splendidly crafted. And PR says Rachel Barenbaum's latest novel is about Chernobyl, yes, but also about comic books, the power of math, finding one's truth and love, both biological and found. The novel is masterly plotted. And in the most recent rave from the New York Times, it says this novel triples down on the author's ability to see history through the lens of the fantastic, as much as the humans to go like her characters beyond what logic dictates. It's a leap and she lands it. So let's talk a little bit about Rachel. Before Caroline, I... thank you. <laughs> Oh my God, that this, was the best I introduction. I have of to say, that before, before, when we were in the green room, when I was telling Rachel how jealous, how when this book came out, I looked at it and I felt so jealous because I thought, oh my God, I wish I could write something that great. And then she told me about the book she's writing now, and I thought, oh damn, what should I think what? about that? But I, so anyway. and then I said, how could you be jealous? Because you are the most amazing writer out there. <laughs> I'm the one who's jealous. Caroline no. has been nothing but a fantastic mentor. She is an amazing, amazing writer who inspires me and so many other people. And it is such an honor to be on the show with you, to be part of the blaze with you, to be in your light. Really, I wouldn't be here without Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. So let's Give a little background on Rachel, and then we'll talk. I'm dying to talk about this book. Rachel's debut, <laughs> Abandon the Stars, was a New York Times summer reading selection of Barnes and Noble Discover, Great New Writers. It's a Boston Globe bestseller. Her work has appeared in the LA Review of Books, the Tel Aviv Review, Lit Hab, Dar Dead Darlings. She's the founder of Debut Spotlight and the debut editor at A Mighty Blaze. In a former life, she was a hedge fund manager and a spin instructor. So let's talk about Atomic Anna. Okay. Atomic Anna is about these three extraordinary women. It's in 1986, there's a renowned nuclear scientist, Anna Brokova, who Chernobyl's happening, and all of a sudden she's thrust through time to discover her strange daughter, Molly, shot in the chest. Molly begs Anna to go back to 1992, um, to stop Chernobyl and save Molly's daughter, Risa. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, a math prodigy, and to put the future on better footing. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So I want to know, so my first question, I guess, is there's a really interesting origin story where you read something in a newspaper, I believe, about cosmic rays that were actually being investigated on a mountain. Mm. What cosmic rays? I know. Tell us about it and how it sort of swooped over to Chernobyl. I know, I know. So, well, the meltdown at Chernobyl, that disaster was really the, look at that, thank you, was really, 
<laughs> the very first um, massive, you know, event that I remembered from my childhood. And it was the first thing that really said to me, grownups can really mess up. They can really have accidents, right? And kill thousands and millions right. of people. And I just remember it, right? I'm, I'm a little girl and I'm sitting there back in the days when you had to sit in front of the TV and right for the six o'clock news or whatever and watch these <laughs> images and just being horrified. And so I've always thought about Chernobyl. It's always been with me as this moment. Um, and then uh, I read about the uh, cosmic ray stations that the Soviet Union built. These are absolutely real. There's one in particular oh. on Mount Aragots in Armenia. I know. It's Does it work? Do they work? Yeah, there's, the there's still a guy up there. There's oh one, God. maybe two people. I mean, these ancient computers from like the 80s, right? They take up an entire room and they have the computing power of like, you know, a calculator <laughs> today. But um, they're still there. Yeah. And they they built this to study cosmic rays, right? The energy that's coming down through the atmosphere to see if they could harness it, understand it. You know, what are cosmic rays? What, what can we do with them? But it's this elaborate, am amazing complex. And um, there were some photo essays done by the National Geographic. Toby Smith has done the best photos I've ever seen. Um, the Guardian has an amazing, amazing photo essay on it and the New York Times. And just reading about this place, this bizarre place, I thought I have to set a book there. And it has to be related to Chernobyl because Chernobyl was such a disaster, but something freaky happened that day. You know, freaky on a level that I couldn't understand and something freaky is happening at that cosmic ray station. And I don't know, they mixed together in my head and out came Atomic Anna. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, um, Laura Rossi, your publicist and my brilliant publicist and a mighty Blaze's brilliant publicist has a great question. Oh, I have to ask you about your grandmother and growing up. And the second part is what do you think your grandmother would think about the masterpiece Atomic Anna? <laughs> well, so I think what Lara is probably talking about is, um, so I grew up with grandparents on one side who had come from Russia and a great aunt. Um, uh -huh. And when I, you know, I was the eldest on, in my, you know, in my family and every Friday they would come for Shabbat dinner for the Sabbath and they would call me over my great aunts because my grandmother actually died when I was very young. And it would be like, you know, Rachel, Rachel, come over. Right. Right. And they would, and I would have to bend down because they were a lot smaller than me. And then they would say, they would say, is your, do you know where the passports are? Do you know where the emergency money is? Because you're going to have to run. You feel safe wow. in America. We ran from Russia. You're going to have to run. And, you know, so they always, they hated the Soviet Union. I was not allowed to go. I was not allowed to speak Russian. We weren't allowed to talk about that. Um, so, you know, I've always had that in my head. And uh, that, that's why my books are there, I guess, because I wasn't allowed to talk about it. I, I've always been obsessed with it. <laughs> you know, I, uh, my grandmother, my great-grandmother actually escaped the czar and she would never talk about it. And yeah. I remember when I was in high school, for some reason, my little working class high school offered Russian. And I, the parents were all up in arms because like, oh, Russian is evil. But I remembered how much I loved the language and I still love the language. I love the way it sounds. But so anyway, what you obviously have a science background and I wanted to talk about the time travel in the novel because I've, there's time travel figures in a lot of different novels, the time traveler's wife, Emma Straub has one coming out, Emily St. John Mandel, but your time travel is so strictly scientifically 
based. I have to tell you, I've been like grabbing, I actually grabbed my husband this morning and said, I have to tell you, think of spot, think of time as a spaghetti, cook spaghetti. And that's how <laughs> it was explained in your novel. And that is what I love because it makes the fantastic seem really real. So I want to know about the research you did. Um, what's I know your imagination went out in some places, but it seems like it's very scientifically based. Do you believe time travel can happen or do you believe it has happened? I definitely believe in time travel. I think I think it will happen <laughs> one day. I mean, I think that our human ability, I have faith in our human ability and to do things, um, you know, like there's some weird stuff out there that you can do with science. But I mean, in all seriousness, um, it's pretty, you know, there's some pretty big questions, pretty big research being done, right. um, you know, that I that I bring forward and this idea, right, of unified field theory. And there are things that we can't explain. And I love that idea. I'm so fascinated with that idea of using science, like to show maybe this actually is possible. I mean, I love some yeah. sci-fi that goes out, you know, with crazy ideas that are based in made up science. And I think that can be really fun too. But I specifically love basing it in a what if. Right? Yes. What if we could just push this a little bit further? <laughs> yeah. And there's that whole line, which is very, I like to read a lot of quantum physics for the lay person. And there's, there was a line in the novel about how the past, the present, and the future are all occurring at the same time. Yes, that's and Einstein. I love that. I love yeah. that so much. I want a t shirt with that on it. But yes. I think that, you know what, with, with all science is just so interesting and amazing that you really don't need all this weird conspiracy theories and yeah. other kinds of stuff because there's so much in science. Yeah. And, you know, you think this kind of stuff is really far off, but then um, I was reading, uh, so I still like finance. I love cryptocurrency. And um, I read this daily newsletter from Robinhood where I do some crypto trading. And they had this little fun fact in there a few weeks ago. And it said something like since 2001 or 2000, there's been at least one human up in the, um, uh, space station, you know, for like continuously. Yeah. So there's always like already we have the point where they're not all humans are on Earth for the past 20 years. That's in the space station. But that's kind of a mind blowing little tidbit, right? It's a mind blowing little tidbit. How does having been a hedge fund manager influence your writing at all? What skills translate from one to the other? Yeah. So I actually um, love what I learned in trading stocks in that, um, you know, when you trade stocks, you're up or you're down at the end of the day, at the end of the quarter. And everybody knows you lost a lot of money. You made money. Right. Then they'll tell you like, hey, you it's like monopoly money at that point, isn't it? I, no, no, it's nope. real. It's, it's very real. real. Okay. And and they'll tell you like, you know, you suck, you did terrible or great job. You're on top of the world. Right. So it, it just sort of criticism. You learn to just let that roll off your back in the sense of then the next day the market opens and you can start again. Right. You can sell whatever you lost. You can rebuy. So when people, you know, when I'm doing all these early drafts that I've talked to you about in the past that you are so inspirational with, you know, and people will say, or my editor will say, I just don't think this character is working. Fine, cut the character. You know, or if I get the comment, start on page 72. Fine, cut page 71 right. forward, right? <laughs> like, I don't take it personally. It doesn't bother me. Right. I just let it go. And, and I know some people find that really strange all the no. time, but I really have no problem with it because I guess I just learned that sort of tough skin think, or something, thick skin, you know? Just let it go. 
that's being a real pro because, you know, as a writer, you want to like, if something's not working, you want to push and make it fit in. I want to talk about the comic book element because I just loved it. Molly starts drawing these comic books and they have such a feminist because it's a female superhero, hero, Atomic Anna. But these comics, comics also operate as science because there are clues in them for Molly's daughter, Raisa. Is that how you pronounce her name, Raisa? Raisa, her, yeah. Okay, for Molly's daughter, Raisa, to find. So it's all in kind of this loop. What do you know about comics? How did you find out more? And um, I just want to know how this all came about because it's, it's just wonderful it's just so wonderful it made me love your characters so so much oh, this is like the dream question i mean i did not serve it up to you but if you had asked me i would have been like please ask me about the comics oh <laughs> so yeah oh, the comics are like and also you've been drawing some i saw some uh or somebody else drew not some, me some, i don't draw them do. yes I'll oh they're so incredible yeah, so the women's comics movement, right, which was women's with a Y, not an E, and comics okay. with an X, really, was like in the heart of the 70s, we're in the heart of the second wave of feminism, right, Shirley Chisholm, right, Bella Abzug, we have, um, you know, Gloria Steinem, like all these amazing feminists, right, we're pushing for universal childcare, this is the heart of the women's movement, which I adore and love that moment, and women's yeah. comics, were right at the center of that. And Trina Robbins was one of these figures who was pushing, right, to show women changing what we are in the world, right? Coming out, we're gonna work, we're gonna vote, we're gonna have our own bank accounts, we're gonna, right, be ourselves, right? And and I love that moment in feminism. And I wanted to capture that and I wanted to bring that in through the comics for that reason. Also because I love the idea that some people see the world in terms of numbers, they'll define a space in terms of equations, and some people will see it in terms of light and dark and color. And so I got the chance to sort of put that all together with comics. I mean, people don't talk about how important comics were to women's movement, to second wave feminism, right? It, it was a huge, they went hand in hand. And, and I wanted to bring that back into the, you know, sort of the conversation and, and get us started on that again. Well, it's so. I actually have a first edition of, of the number one comic of Miss Marvel, I believe is the name no of it. I, have it in my, I do, I do. I don't oh know how I got God. it, but it's incredible. I have it in my file cabinet back there. But and I love it because she's yeah she's strong and she's fierce and she's incredible i also want to say in terms of the comics that it brings an, uh, the whole element of another story world so we have the past we have the future we have the present we have russia we have america and we have the comic world yeah and i just thought it was just incomparably done but also the comics are very much character development of molly we see her, this girl discovering comics and how much they mean to her. And because we love her so, so much, we love the whole idea of her getting in, involved in the comics. And the comics become very, very important. I just thought it was brilliantly done. Thank so you. you said you just said something that I want to ask about too, which is there was a line that you were talking about numbers and there was a line in the book about how math is a language. It's yeah. not numbers. And when I read that, I thought, oh my God, that's right. Nobody ever thinks about that, that math is really a beautiful thing with a language all its own. And it isn't just, you know, the train is going 10 miles this way, another one is going 15 <laughs> miles, when will they crash? Can you talk about that a little bit, please? Yeah, How is yeah. the language? 
I mean, it is a different people see the world in different ways and understand it and can communicate it and interact with it in different ways, right? And so thinking of numbers and symbols um, as sentences, right? And big, long ideas. So um, I love that idea. So Einstein himself started in philosophy, right? And he started with big questions. What is time? And he was very famously right. working in the patent examiner's office, working on machines to synchronize clocks because they were trying to figure out how to run train schedules, right? For the first time back in 1914, 1910, right? Like, how do you do that? You need to have clocks. You need to agree on the time in one city to the other. So you need a machine to do that. And so Einstein comes up with the idea of light. He says, all these machines I'm seeing are wrong. They're not going to work, but let's use light. It's a constant. So then he has to take this idea and translate it into math so that he can prove it and other people can understand it. And that idea like blows my mind, right? Because I can talk about it in the words and the philosophy. What is time? How do we measure it? But he was the first for like that I understood when someone was saying, let's take this idea of light as a constant and translate it into words, into equations to show that this is how we're going to synchronize clocks or, you know, then he gets into relativity. And I don't understand all those equations. And how I was just going to ask you, could you do, because I remember my son was learning chemistry and I was thought like, oh, I want to learn these mathematical equations. And I, I, could not. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, but I but I can appreciate but that I appreciate that's how it's, it's language, right? Yes. And so when I would read about Einstein being in a room with all these scientists and talking about relativity, and they're looking on a you know a chalkboard back then with the equations, they're literally go it's like you're translating Latin for me, because I took Latin, right? And where you would go through mm -hmm. and say, you know, word by word and parse the sentence and figure like that's actually what these mathematicians and scientists were doing. And so that just was like, I've got to write about that. I, I want to explain that to other people. I loved people. it. I loved it. I just, I'm actually, I have, I have the hardback edition. I have the arc and I've been actually underlining things in the arc because there's so much science in it. It's so fabulous. Speaking of science, um, there's a very moral thread in the book about what science can do and what science should do. Yeah. Anna built the bomb. She's yes. desperate to stop Chernobyl. So it's always a problem with science. There are things we can do. We can probably clone our dead. We can probably clone children. We can probably live forever. But these things we can do, should we? I mean, should we download our brains into machines? How can we eat if we reach a point where we say, okay, we shouldn't do that for moral reasons. How do we stop the intense curiosity that we have about all these things? I mean, it's an intense conversation for Anna and for Molly and for her daughter, Raisa. Yeah, Talk and, for us. And, for that, us. Right? and for us. Yeah, I mean, I love that you're bringing this up because I wish that all science were now starting with these ethical questions. I mean, it's very real. Should you be able to choose, you know, the genes that your child will inherit, right? Right. 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 Are you going right? Designer babies, I think, is a, right. Right. So you Designer. Will choose. That's right. Yeah. I mean, should you be? Able, we we can probably do that. Should we? Seems, seems yeah, very wrong. should we? What does it mean if we do do it? I mean, it's, right. it's such a slippery soap, but it's so interesting because the other thing about Anna is when she starts out, it's almost like she could have two roads she can go on, sort of like Dante's Inferno. One road is she's going to 
devote her life to science. Like it's really important for her to fix Chernobyl, to do the science, but on the other end is her family. And in the beginning of the novel, science comes first, but things sort of change. And I found that so completely interesting, partly because, well, first of all, the scientists I know are the most humane, wonderful people on the planet. Um, So Anna is definitely, and I was wondering if part of her dilemma is that being female, because, you know, female, you're you're sort of expected to be a mother and stay at home and be nurturing. Um, She doesn't have that much leeway as, say, a male scientist could. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, we see men all the time who will put work first, who are working, you know, 18 hours a day while they have a partner at home who is cooking or, you right. know, organizing driving or whatever activities for kids or the the family life. And uh, when women want to be in that role, it's always frowned upon or the family falls apart, which is really what I show happening. But I yeah. think that we should recognize and celebrate the fact that women want that too. There's no reason a woman shouldn't be able to work 20, 18 hours a day, right? And put that as the priority. And that's what Anna is. And I think a lot of people find her to be very cold. They don't like her. Really? I don't think so at all. I mean, she, she, I loved her. She was so, first of all, I love the way her mind worked. Second of all, what I found fascinating is how she was able, she was smart enough and human enough to change the way she needed to. She felt that her sacrifices were going to benefit her kids. So it wasn't as if she felt like she didn't care about them. Right. Well, I mean, if a man is working 18 hours a day, he also would say, no one says anything. anything. And he'll say, it's because, you know, I'm providing for my family. And that's what Anna's doing. And so I wanted to point that out. And I wanted to show a woman doing that and a woman being that involved in her work and that devoted to it and it's it's actually a harder character to write than you think in that sense oh and, and you know what else it, it's sort of she's i don't want to give away the ending but her, her, there's a transformation there and it's so satisfying and so wonderful to see i mean all of these women are complex they're not all good girls i mean molly has a drug problem which you know, she deals with, and Risa has her own problem. I mean, they're complicated, fully-fledged women, and that's what makes the book so wonderful. All the characters are just sublime. Yeah. Okay, so let's see. Let's see, I asked this. But I do want to say one other thing is I didn't want to make, just to be clear to anybody listening, right, the resolution with Anna is not that she realizes she needs to be at home with her kids and her family. That is not it, (laughs) right? But that you can find a way, right? It just as a man doesn't have to spend 18 to 20 hours right. right there is there's another way i just tried to cast her as the person in the family who wanted to put work as a priority and how do you do that when you mm-hmm. have when you are the woman in the relationship mm-hmm. the mother the matriarch absolutely absolutely um let me see um right okay there's also a really moral question of how do we stop evil you know anna's building a bomb to stop hitler Right. But and you can't argue with that, a, right? Like, right, but there's a bomb. Or when we dropped the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, it stopped the war, but at what cost? Yeah. It's sort of, 
do you believe do you believe that this is inherent this is something that is in our biology that we have to somehow face and fight do you have any answers to this i mean i mean this is a, that is a big question i yeah. wish i did but i certainly you know, I struggle with this question as I wrote this book and still now. So if you want to build a nuclear bomb to stop Hitler, I can't argue with that, right? right? Or you want to go back in time to stop the Chernobyl disaster from happening because you want to save all those people. How could you say that's a bad thing? And yet, right. look at what you have to do and sacrifice and how many people you will hurt by right. building that bomb or by going right. back in time. So, right? Like, should you actually do it? Is there another way? I, I don't know, but that's what's so fascinating about the book because it makes you, I'm still thinking about it. It really makes you think what is the right thing to do and how do you cope with it? I mean, if the right thing to do is to murder somebody like Hitler, bless you. If the right thing is to murder Hitler, then how do you live with yourself knowing that you killed another human being, even yeah. though that human being was evil? It's well, a very or someone else is going question. to come along just like Hitler. Just like him, or it might be worse. Yeah. Or th things might be worse. Um, I want to ask about what surprised you about the right in the writing of this novel because it was so I I can't imagine there weren't a million surprises because the novel is so intricate and just so beautifully I just want to tell everybody out there this novel it's like a textbook for writers because it's so seamlessly organized the writing is just so wonderful so what surprised you while you were doing this um I think that the complexity of keeping track of dates I spent a right. lot of time on that. And, you know, because like I knew that readers, my editor, everyone would really hold me to the fire to that. And as they should. Right. But I that was very hard. If you shift one month or one year in one section because it's time travel and there's so many sections in the book. Right. It just would <laughs> go through the whole thing. And so I'd be like, oh, I'll just make, you know, Anna one year younger. But then I had to make, you know, 50 right. changes in the manuscript or something. So um, did that you was really hard. Did you separately <laughs> do everybody's timeline? Because it goes back and forth and back and forth. Um, no. So I had, I used spreadsheets. I used Excel. And I had okay. sort of a master one that went chronologically so that I knew day by day, right? So that, in a sense, separates it because their lives start, you know, they exist separately in some spots, or Anna did for sure. But then I, I had, you know, more for following okay. the book. I wanted to talk about the value of art and how it impacts real life. Atomic Anna comics. I so wish you would make them and produce them. Oh, I, can, anyway. I have to tell you about my project. Oh, okay. Let me ask a question first. And you took okay. a project. Okay. Atomic Anna comics certainly have this function because people say, oh, comic book. But yeah. these Atomic Anna comic books in the novel virtually save lives and save the world. And yeah. this novel with all its moral questions sort of does the same. So my question about this was, I wanted you to talk about the value of art and what you wanted people to take away from the book. But I also want to hear about your project. So okay, tell us about so, that. Okay, so first, so um, Atomic Anna, right, that we've got the comic book, that is the name of the comic book that Molly imagines and dreams up. And um, I just, so I guess I put the book to bed, right? When it goes off to the printer, we're, do, we're done copy edits, everything. And I'm sitting around and I was like, you know, 
one thing that I would really love to do is, you know, make these comics. How awesome would that be? And then I started <laughs> talking to Kelly Sue DeConnick, who is this huge woman in comics right now. She has tons of followers, tons of ama amazing comics. And she has a project called Visible Women. And so I got in touch with her because, of course, I need to have a woman drawing these comics. Oh, right? yeah. And I want to hold up new artists because I love new writers, right? I do debut spotlight for new writers. I want to debut artists. So she helped me. She has this amazing database. So I started pouring through and I found these artists that I loved, um, Angela Wu and Emily Ree. And I you know, wrote to them, made, you know, proposed this project that they would draw these covers and my characters. And they were all in. They were so excited. And so now I have all these amazing comics. Right. So I sent them all the descriptions that I had written in the book of my characters and what I thought they would do. And they drew them. And Hachette, Grand Central, my publisher, loves them, too. And now they're using them for marketing and promotion. And it's just been amazing. Are there going to be clues? Are there going to be clues from Raysa? <laughs> no. Oh, but it, I, I'm so happy for the artists now, too, because they're Wonderful. getting a lot more attention. And my, you know, my publisher's excited for them. People are, you know, their little requests coming in for the graphic novels and stuff. So it's pretty cool. That's amazing. We're going to open it up to questions now. Laura has another question. She wants to know what genre would you say this book is? Because it's really, you can't really say it's sci-fi. It's definitely literary fiction, but it's also sort of thrilling and it's also speculative. Um, I don't so know. I mean, think? I just call it fiction. It's funny because... Fiction. I don't call it sci-fi. I mean, there's a time machine in it, but really the book is about love and relationships, right? And family and big juicy questions. Like just because we can, doesn't mean we should. So I don't know. I think I like to see it in the fiction, you know, the fiction aisle, <laughs> but uh, some people are calling is. it sci-fi. Oh, I don't know. But I'm, I just thought it was, it was that weird space where you feel this is absolutely real. This is absolutely real. It's absolutely happening now. Um, is this going to be translated into Russian? <laughs> I hope. We'll see. We'll see. That would that would be amazing. I have I have one of my books was translated into Russian. It's my favorite thing ever, just to look at the cover and say, wow. Okay, so get those questions in, people. If you have them, put them in the chat. No question is as Laura said, literary fiction is her bet. Okay, let's see what else. What's obsessing you now and why that you can talk about? That's what I always ask. What question. is obsessing me right now? Um well, right now I'm having very bad allergies. <laughs> oh, <very okay>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sick, but it's allergies. Um, but I spend, uh, you know, a lot of time looking into, I'm, I'm super excited about, um, you know, uh, Justice uh, Jackson's right yes. information yesterday. That yes. was huge. You know, I spend a lot of time reading news. I, I don't know what is obsessing me. I wish I had a really good... You can make uh, something up. <laughs> I know. Time travel is obsessing. Me. I'll tell you that is the truth because everybody is asking me at least 12 times a day, where would you go if you could time travel? <laughs> oh, where would you go? I mean, I don't I, I think about that all the time. And I I think I want to go in the future. I don't want to change the past. I want to see what's happening in the future. I would love that too. But you know what? So I've been thinking so much about this because I used to think, okay, I don't actually want to time travel because I don't want to mess anything up and I'm happy where I am. But then I was thinking 
thinking, what if I could go back to the moment like my grandparents, right, got on the boat or, right, or they are to a conversation somewhere in my family where they were sitting in a room and said, it's time to run. How amazing would that be? Right. That would be that would be totally amazing. But totally. I wouldn't want to interact. Like I'd just sort of be right, the fly in the wall. Yeah, well that's the thing. I mean, it would be weird if you go in the future. I would want to go far away enough so that my future self was not there. I just want to say, how's my son doing? What are my grandkids doing? Is there yes. even an earth yet? All that kind of stuff. Julie, thank you for the question. What was the hardest thing about writing this book? And what was the easiest thing? Again, let's look at the gorgeous, gorgeous cover. Thank you. Yes, I know. I love it. The cover are was you easy. Gonna, are you going to have t-shirts made of this? Because I would buy one. <laughs> thank you. Cover. I hadn't thought about it yet. Um, <laughs> Okay, so the hardest thing that I really struggled with the most was the opening for this book. And I think that I wrote about, I'm not exaggerating, probably 30 different openings. Wait, wait, I'm, I'm opening up to the opening. Right. This seems like the perfect opening to me. It's exactly the, where you want to start. The well, prologue, right, where she, yeah, right, where she, she rips through time. time. Yeah. Where, she time. where yeah. else could you have started that? I mean, so actually the second to last scene in the whole book is the very first one that I wrote. And this is when Anna oh. goes back and visits her own mother on the day that her mother disappears. Right. Um, right. And so that's where I thought the book would start and then it would be linear from there. Uh, but that didn't work. <laughs> that was just boring. No one liked that. And so I just... I kept rewriting and rewriting and that was just really hard. And then the easiest character and the easiest part to write um, was Raisa and the math contest. Oh, I that love that. That scene just like boom, boom, boom. She was the little math prodigy. That was, that was, she was just wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Um, I want to know how you started as a writer. I mean, what made you decide, you know what? I'm not going to be a hedge fund manager anymore. I'm going to be a writer. Did you write as a kid? Oh my God. So first of all, I have always been writing and always wanted to be a writer. I took every creative writing class I could in college. My dream, I wanted to be a writer. Um, but then I sat down and looked at the salary, right? And then looked at my student loans. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I looked at my student loans and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. There was no way. Um, but so while I was in finance, like in business school, literally like, you know, and at night I'm, I'm running my fund instead of reading, you know, earnings reports, I'm writing books and querying. So I have like four novels that I wrote before Bend in the Stars came out, maybe five that are in the drawer. So I have wow. always been writing. This is not new. I just finally sold a book, now sold a second book, right? And now I'm doing it full time. That so is it's wonderful. not new. It's not like, yeah. you know, I feel like some people think it's over. They look at you, you know, what's the famous line about overnight success. But yeah, it's taken right. me, you know, 40 <laughs> years to get here. <laughs> and like how many books in the drawer? That's incredible. That's absolutely. You, so when you're writing, do you do you have people who look at your pages or do you wait until you're and then just give it to your agent or your editor? Or how does that work for you? 
Uh, so I have an amazing writing group. I took uh, the one-year novel incubator program at Grub Street. I'm still very close to them and a lot of people in that program. And so I give them pages first. And they're amazing because they'll read it and they'll say, yeah, this is not working. You know, or, or this this character is really good. You know, pull her out and dump everything else. You know, or whatever that's it the, is. That's the scariest thing to do: to learn to show your pages and to listen to the criticism without, like, immediately saying "screw you," keeping it the way it is. It doesn't bother me. Right. It's wonderful that it doesn't bother you. I'm getting better about it. I really am getting better about it because you have to. You have yeah. to. Oh, we have another question. Great. Thank you, Shelley Bird. And travels to the future oh she said is there going to be a sequel and seriously can you hint about what you're working on next oh that's like a beautiful teed up question um so <laughs> no i don't have any plans for a sequel for atomic anna of course like if the sales go crazy and lots of people are demanding i have tons of ideas all right i'm sure do you you probably feel this way too caroline like you love your characters you know them so well of course you i could keep going with them for another thousand pages oh, yeah i know what they're yeah, but it's weird. Don't you find it weird when people say, well, what are they doing now? And you're saying, well, I don't know. They're eating cupcakes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Who knows? Right. Do you want to talk about your next book at all? You Some, some writers don't like to do that. But some yeah. Really so I will just say that um, I'm working on a story that is a novel that is set uh, sort of around 9-11 and the World Trade Center and what happened down there. So we will see. We will see how that comes together. Uh, well, from what we talked about before we got on here, I think it's another genius idea. Laura wants to know, what is the movie or limited series? That's actually a great idea. I yes. can't imagine that this wouldn't be a great limited series with three strong roles for great women. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. So my uh, agents at William Morris are working very hard to sell this, and it is you know, on submission all over Hollywood right now. So if anybody's oh. listening and knows someone who wants to make this movie, <laughs> let me know. Limited series. That's what I well, want to do. All I want to say is that if you have any waitresses, any rude waitresses in the limited series, I want to be, I want to be the rude waitress. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We have time for one last question. If somebody would like to ask it. Okay. Otherwise then I'm going to ask Rachel the last question, which is, was there any question I didn't ask that you'd like to talk about or say anything about? Um, I would like to know from you how you, I would like to know how you just, you, you like encourage so many authors, right? Like, how are you such a great mentor? How do you find all these amazing writers that you want to mentor and help? You know, you know what it was? It was because I didn't have a lot of help when I was starting out at first. In fact, I had a lot of people who were the opposite of helpful. And I, when I reached my lowest point, I just said, you know what? I'm going to just make my own rules and I'm going to be nice to everyone and i'm gonna help other people and that's just what i did i did all this stuff that you weren't supposed to do i just contacted writers said hi and, um and i just feel like we're all writing is so hard and we're all swimming in the same ocean there's sharks there there's box jellyfish there's giant squid we have to keep everybody afloat 
Yeah. Everybody I just love it. Me. You're such an inspiration that way. And I feel like I, I try to emulate that all the time, you know, because you have done so much for me, pulling me up and helping me along. And I always try to pay it forward. I always think about you when other writers come to me and say, can you help? Do you have advice? Right. Can you blurb? <laughs> well, let's turn the conversation. Let's turn the conversation back to the real star, Rachel, <laughs> Atomic Anna. Go to your local indie bookstore. You can also get this at bookshop.org. You want this book. I swear, you want this book. It is one of these books where I started reading it and I did not stop. In fact, I read it twice because I read it first in the galley and then I thought, well, I should read it again for... Um, you know, to make up questions. And the second time was even better than the first. It's genius. It's just absolutely And you gave me a beautiful blurb. I did. I did. I gave her a beautiful blurb because the book just blew me away. Right there. Blew me away. Right on the back. So thank you everybody for being here. Buy the book. Buy the book. Um, and Rachel, Thank you so, so much. I cannot wait to read what you read next. I'd read your grocery list. And remember, <laughs> this is going to be, this interview will live live on our YouTube station forever and ever and ever. It's going to be a podcast too, so you can listen to it. And tell your friends, because this book is the real thing. It really Thank is. It's the real deal. It's just Thank you so wonderful. much, Caroline. Thank you, Mighty Blaze. Such a pleasure to be on the show. Okay. So goodbye, everybody. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in, showing up. And last thing I'm going to say before I tune off, Atomic Anna. Okay, just bye.